Good morning to those of you watching on live stream. We have a few hundred people watching on live stream, so we're excited about that. You can always do that if you're not in the room with us, but don't make that a habit because we're awesome up in here. So, uh, hey, we're so glad that you are here today as we launch into Equip and just want to unpack a little bit about what that means today and just give us an overarching view of why this is so important for you and why it's going to be crucial to your life going over this next year. You know, we started the year in January with a series called More. You know, we just believe that God wanted to do more in our life as a church, that God wanted to do more in our lives individually. And we know that in order to experience more, one of the things that we want to become is we need to be, we need to be better equipped to do the things God has called us to do. Now, there's a lot of ideas about what a church should be. Like, you probably have some ideas about what a church should be, the way they should spend their time, their resources. Maybe it was how you grew up. You know, maybe it was, maybe you never went to church, so you have this idea of what church should be, or maybe you read about it or some other reason. And so, in order to understand what church is about, we wanted to look to the person who founded the church and what he said about the church. Because because some people think church is about maybe we should just be a charity where we really help people who are homeless and who are living in poverty and who are hungry. And those that's a good thing, isn't it? Or maybe church should just be about programming. Maybe it's just about programming for my kids. As a matter of fact, the reason some of you like to come is because you get an hour without your kids every Sunday morning. Am I wrong? Come on, give me an amen somebody out there. There you go. Come on. See, they're close to the preschool hallway, so you know it. Um, so, so there's a lot of ideas, but let's, we want to get to the basics because if you lose that, you lose everything. So what did Jesus say about the mission of the church? We find that in the great, what's called the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. That's a lot. Am I wrong? Like that's a lot of authority. He's got authority over everything. Heaven and earth. Everything you see, everything you don't see, everything that's, that's uh, created. He has all authority. And he has, and it's been given to him. So he says, go therefore and make disciples. Like really clear, isn't it? He says, go and make disciples. Sometimes as a church, we can maybe lose out and be distracted from this clear focused mission. But he says, go and make disciples. So we want to be about making disciples. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, right? And that's what we just did. We just baptized because this is part of becoming a disciple. This is why we do it. The fact that these guys got in the water, how awesome was baptism, by the way? Come on. Wow. Wow. And so they got baptized because they made this decision to be part, to, to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. So we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what this part means at the end right here, this is Jesus' way of saying, you better not ever stop. Like this goes on and on forever. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. You better keep doing this to the end of the age. This is the mission of the church. This is what we're supposed to be about. Like when we get to heaven and there's the, and we have the test, this is what's on the test. Like, don't you always want to know what's on the test? Like when some of you actually went to school, um, kidding. Uh, so we all went to school at least part way, and you always want to know, we have a test Friday. What is on the test? I need a study guide. If you couldn't find a study guide, you asked your friend who took the test the day before. Am I wrong? Come on. So we always want to know, this is on the test. Here's what I believe. On the test, God's going to ask us, hey, how did you, how'd you do with that thing called making disciples? Like, who did you tell about me? Who did you help look like me? How, how did you do with this thing called making disciples? I think as a pastor, one of the things that I'll be judged on is say, did you make disciples? At the days when, when, when the ministry is over, when I meet Jesus face to face, when I'm no longer bounding up the steps to come up here and be all excited, like, what am I going to answer to? This is what I'm answering to. And this is what you will answer to. 
So exactly what is a disciple? Like, what does that even mean? Because all of us have different cultures that we grew up in, or if you went to church and you have what maybe making disciple could mean to you, or if you, if you didn't follow um, Jesus and don't have any context for disciple, you're not sure at all. So we just want to make it really clear today. Now, a disciple is just somebody who imitates Jesus. A disciple is someone who imitates Jesus. Now, there is a very much more defined uh, definition that I want to tell you about. It's in your Equip workbook, so I'm not telling you. You have to go through Equip to know the bigger definition. So there's my plug for Equip. Um, but just in general terms, a disciple is someone who imitates the life of Jesus. Another way to look at it is, who would Jesus be if Jesus were you? Okay, if Jesus were in your life stage, your age, your race, your social status, your economic status, who would Jesus be if Jesus were you? So for me, like who would Jesus be if Jesus were a four-year-old man, <laughs> husband to an amazing wife with four plus one children who, um, who are awesome, who, uh, a, a guy who uh, leads a church, a guy who drives a truck, a guy who thinks country music is hilarious, um, a guy who is the only one to put North Carolina to win his March Madness bracket because he wanted to go against the, t- the grain of Pick and Duke. Um, like who, what would Jesus be if Jesus were me? Like, how would he make decisions? How would he, how would he handle relationships? How would he handle conflict? How would he handle money? How would he handle his work ethic? How would he handle his off time? What hobbies would he be in? Like, that's, that's the question you have to answer for yourself. Who would Jesus be if Jesus were you? If Jesus were a 42 year old mom of three who gets up every morning and fixes lunch, for her kids, who carpools a couple of them to school every other day, who plays tennis with their friends in the afternoon, whose husband may be traveling for work. Like, who would Jesus be if Jesus were you? How would, how would you make decisions? How would, he, how would he make decisions? How would he relate? What activities? What would he say no to? What would he say yes to? This is what a disciple is. This is what a disciple is. It's someone who imitates the life of Jesus. And so we want to be a church that is Jesus-centered, disciple-making church. That's the kind of church that we are. It's the kind of church that we will continue to be. We really want to be known as the greatest disciple-making church in our generation. And you see, discipleship, what it does is it places the movement, it places the movement of Jesus in the hands of the masses. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. That Jesus would take the movement of who he is, the fact he came to rescue the world, he came to transform lives, he came to make all things new. He takes that movement and he puts it in the hands of, of, of the masses. He takes and starts out with a group of 12 guys that multiply to 120, that multiply to 3,000, that take over half the known Roman world in less than a generation simply because he put the movement in the hand of normal, everyday people like me and you. This is what Jesus did. This is the genius of how he dignified our existence. Man, Jesus was up always about people. And the ultimate expression of that is he took who he was, his mission to save the world, and he gave it to us to take to the rest of the world. Like that's the ultimate dignity and the purpose that we have in life is that we have this. You know, one of my favorite places to visit in Atlanta is the Martin Luther King Jr. Historical uh, Museum, his personal museum that's downtown. And many of you, how many of you guys have been to that? All right, so a few of you, you need to make a point to go there. It is an incredible experience just to understand the journey that he was on, but also the journey of our country. Um, and so you don't want to miss it. But, but I think more of us have heard the I Have a Dream speech. 
You know, we've all, most of us have heard that speech. We know he was a great orator. We know that he was a great theologian, had a doctorate. We know that he rubbed shoulders with some really important people, world leaders. We know that he visited the White House. There was a lot. But what I was most impressed with when I went down and learned more about um, his life and about the civil rights movement was that he took uh, the time to train the everyday ordinary people on the basics, how to have a sit-in. How do, we, how do we resist peacefully? And the, because he did this, the civil rights movement did not die with him. It didn't die with a great speech. And because Jesus has handed the movement to the masses, the movement didn't die with him. You see, Christianity isn't about a speech on a stage on Sunday. It's about what leaves our homes on Monday when we go out into the world. And if you miss this, no matter where you are in, in your spiritual journey, you're going to miss your purpose in life. You're going to miss the satisfaction of knowing you lived a life that you were supposed to live. You will miss out on the contentment that can come and the confidence that you can live with without understanding what it means to, to go through a process of training, of discipleship. And we believe that the way we implement that through Equip can change your life. It can be the greatest return on investment you will have this year when it comes to personal development. And so what we want to do for the rest of our time is we want to look at two guys in the Bible, two guys who were Jesus' disciples, and how they were discipled, who they were, and the impact that they made. And we believe that these two people represent all of us in the room. All right, so let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. We're going to start out. Um, I've got the whole passage listed on your screen. You can always grab a paperback. It's also on the app. We would love for you to download uh, Uversion, the Bible app. It's an app where you can go to and you can actually read here. It's probably one of the best apps available. It is free. That makes it really awesome. And so you can follow along on your phone. And so download that. Go to Acts. And if you want to, you can go ahead and check your bracket real quick. I will never know, um, but I might. And so, uh, but go ahead and read. We would love for you to have this tool as you become a disciple, as you follow Jesus. Acts chapter 4. Now, now as, as you're turning, I need to give a little context to what's happened here. So you have these two guys, Peter and John. Peter and John were two of Jesus his closest followers, okay? He, they, they, he had discipled them. They were two of his disciples. And at this point in our story, Jesus has died. He's rose, risen from the dead. He's been murdered. He's risen. And now he's in heaven. And so the disciples are left with the mission. And so Peter and John are walking by the temple one day. Now, as they walk by the temple, they come across this man who was a beggar. He said he was, he was crippled from birth. And so this man was a beggar. And so he looks up at Peter and John, and he's like, morning, can I, just have, can I just have some money to eat? And so Peter looks at him, and Peter says, silver or gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walk. Can you say that was a good day right there? Like, you wanted a quarter, and you got to walk? That's amazing. And so he gets up and walks. Now, when this happens, everybody begins to notice, and everybody begins to kind of gather around Peter and John. And so Peter, in that moment, just tells people about Jesus. He just shares what Jesus had done in his life. And it said that 5,000 men be began to follow Jesus. Now, when that happened, when they got this large following, there was this group of religious leaders over here called the Sanhedrin. Called the Sanhedrin. Can you say Sanhedrin? Sanhedrin. So, so, so some of you, maybe you grew up in a different environment. So can you just say deacon council? That's who they were, right? All you Baptists laughed, didn't you? Come on. 
I'm, I was, I'm, I'm a former Baptist, so I'm recovering. But um, so, you know, and the religious establishment is always, always, always annoyed in the Bible, annoyed when some of their control begins to be taken from them. And, and so there was a certain group of people in the Sanhedrin who didn't believe in the resurrection. So they're double annoyed. And so what do they do? Peter and John have just healed a man. So they decide they'll just arrest them. So Peter and John get arrested. And that's where we pick up the story. Verse 5, chapter 4. It says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they, they inquired, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man and by what means he has been healed. In other words, if we are on trial, for our, if we've been arrested for a good deed, well, let me just tell you a little bit about what happened. He goes on to say, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, I think Peter needs some sensitivity training right there, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you as well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So in this moment, they're on trial in front of some people who can throw them in jail for a long time, could execute them. They'd already executed the leader of their movement. And generally, when your leader gets executed, you're not far behind. Yet they doubled down on elevating the name of Jesus. This is what disciples do. So they doubled down on elevating the name of Jesus. Other people began to hear about this just by them going through and sharing the name of Jesus. And then we have verse 13. And verse 13 is where we'll camp out most of our time today. It says this, now when they saw, meaning the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So let me just double down, let me talk a little bit about what this means to be uneducated and common. Like, in this particular context, this doesn't mean you couldn't read or write, but what it meant was you hadn't been through the formal religious training because certainly if someone's going to lead a religious spiritual movement, you want to go to those who are the professionals, those who've been professionally trained. All this means is that Peter and John were uneducated, meaning they hadn't gone through advanced degrees and common just means they were everyday, ordinary people just like me and you, just like me and you. And so let's just talk a little bit about what this means to be uneducated and common in this, in this context and how it connects to us. So in the, in the Jewish culture, when you were a, just a young boy, you had been placed in Hebrew school and you would have learned what's called the Torah. I mean, it's the Hebrew word for law. And it's the first five books of our Bible. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you have, would have learned all about that. You would have memorized more than likely all five books. And then as you progress through school, there would have come a point where some people would have risen to the top. Some of the little boys would have risen to the top and roughly a small percentage of them, roughly 10 or 15, would have been taken out to pursue advanced learning. And so these 10 or 15 would have been taken out. They would have gone through more learning. They would have taken an entrance exam, much like we take to get into different 
careers. Maybe you take, um, you know, to get in law school, you take the LSAT, and then to get into, uh, to get a master's, you take an exam. To get into college, obviously, you take the ACT, SAT. So it was an advanced test so that you could qualify for that advanced training. Now, keep in mind, your parents' dream was for you to be a pastor, priest in that culture, pastor in ours, right? And so this was what your parents had longed for, would have prayed for, would have hoped for for you. And so you would take the test, and then if you made it through that round, if you made it through that test and you passed, you would go through more training, and then there would have been another level where a rabbi would have chosen you, and he would have come along, and he would have grilled you on certain questions. He would have tried to find your proficiency in reading the law, examining the law, and applying the law. And then if you were able to answer his questions satisfactorily, you got picked. You got picked. Now, Peter and John, it appears, they didn't make it to the, to the 10 or 15. They didn't make it that far. So what happens at that point is you go back to the family business. Now, Peter and John, while uneducated theologically, they were successful businessmen, right? They, they knew how to launch a business. They knew what it was like. But in this moment, their dreams, they, they wouldn't have been picked. They wouldn't have been picked. Have you ever not been picked? Maybe you were on the playground. Could have been dodgeball, kickball. Raise your hand. Nobody picks you. Until finally you're the last one left. And, you, and then you didn't really get picked, did you? It was just by default you went to the next team. You ever, you ever not been picked? How disappointing that is? Like Peter and John. You know, I, I had this happen to me when I was <clears throat> a freshman in high school. You know, I played baseball. We, in the school I grew up in, we, we had the big three, right? You had baseball, football, basketball. And if you wanted to stay in shape, you ran track. Anybody remember that? And then, um, you know, we didn't have anything like, I don't think lacrosse was invented back then either. And then soccer, does anybody really think that's a sport? Like, I'm just asking. <laughs> Jokes. Um, <laughs> Jokes. So we didn't have any of that. So I played the big three. And then coming up, I was pretty decent at baseball. And so uh, I played, and even when, like when I was 10, this is my claim, my athletic claim to fame, when I was 10, and we graduated up to what was called Dixie Youth. It was 10, 11, and 12. So I would have been the youngest in Dixie Youth. Um, in, in, my t in my town, uh, they had a draft, much like we do here in, in our culture. We drafted players, and I was the first player picked when I was 10 years old, right? And nobody really cares, but I was, <laughs> I was the first player picked. And so all that to say, I played, I made all-star teams. I did pretty good. Then I was a, as a freshman in high school, I go to play on the high school team and I was a catcher and, and, and the catcher, for those of you who don't know sports, he stands behind the batter and catches all the pitches and it is grueling during practice because sometimes you don't even have a pitcher. You have a pitching machine that's throwing you the ball because people can't throw that many pitches. And so it's a grueling process. And so I was a catcher and I was on the team and there were some other freshmen who were catchers as well. And we all got a lot more practice because of the position that we played and they needed us more. Well, we had a very, very good season and we got to, we got to the end of our season and we made the state playoffs and I was so excited. But not everybody was going to get to travel to the playoffs. And so they weren't going to take any freshman except one catcher. And so the day came where we had the practice right before we're to travel to the state playoffs. And the coach is going to tell us who's going. And it was obvious as he's beginning to, he realizes he's got to carry one freshman catcher. He hasn't thought this through. And so as he gets to that point and he's about to say the name, I'm looking down. This is all I'm thinking. 
Say my name, say my name, say my name, say my name. I did my best Beyonce. Say my name, 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 say my name. Like I'm just, say my name. And he does not say my name. Says somebody else's. If you've ever never experienced not getting chosen, I, th I think you can understand the embarrassment of that publicly where everybody heard it or didn't hear your name. You can understand the disappointment that happens with that. So this is Peter and John's life. They hadn't been chosen. Even though they moved on to a successful business, they had not been chosen. And Jesus shows up and says, I choose you. No entrance exam, no test, no prerequisites. I choose you. This is how it happened in Matthew chapter 4. He said, Jesus said to them, Peter and the fishermen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, come after me. I choose you. And this is what the invitation is to all of us. Follow me is what Jesus says to you and you and you and you to all of us. The invitation is he chooses you. And in that moment, when he calls some fishermen, he erases every label. Every label that would have held you back or said you weren't good enough or didn't qualify. It doesn't matter if you were black or white, or brown, doesn't matter if you were rich, or poor, single, or married, employed, or unemployed, He chooses you. This is the call of discipleship. This is a call to be a part of the movement. This is a call to be equipped to live a life on purpose. Jesus chooses you. And He chooses you individually, not generally. He doesn't just say, okay, you hundred, y'all go on. He points out by name and he calls us all to follow him. We are all Peter and John. We are all uneducated, common people, normal, everyday, ordinary people. And we get to carry the movement of discipleship and the movement of this message. Don't settle for anything less than that. Because so many times we'll put off any development that we want to enter into. We know something may be a good idea, but we'll put it off. And I don't know enough. And this may be you today. Like, I, I don't want to get in a quib. I don't, I don't know enough. I don't have enough time. I, I, I don't measure up. I don't know the Bible. I don't know this. I don't know that. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. True story. First equip group I ever read. One of my favorite stories. It's become a, a friend of mine. One of my favorite people in our church is he came uh, to equip the first night and his dad had been a pastor and the second night when he comes in he walks in with his bible and he's unwrapping the cellophane off his bible because he had just bought his first bible you know plenty you know plenty his life's radically different because he engaged in that hey don't put it off we're a development culture aren't we we love development man we we buy we have you can go on to amazon and google self-help books Seventy thousand come up Seventy thousand books and you can read it on paper or on your phone or on your tablet or you can listen to it with audible.com, one of the greatest inventions in history. 
And we have podcasts and we have life coaches. We love development, but sometimes we'll procrastinate and we'll say we'll get to it later. This will be maybe the biggest regret you'll ever have is not engaging in a discipleship process and specifically in equip over these next 10 weeks. Now, what is it that they did? What is it that was noticed in them by the leaders of that? Um, over in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we see this word boldness come up. We see this word boldness come up. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They saw this boldness of Peter and John. Where did this, where did this boldness come from? How did they... How did they get so bold? Because Peter was not bold at first. We know in, in verse 13, it says this, is they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is the key to discipleship. This is the key. They had been with Jesus. Peter and John spent time with Jesus. Peter and John hung out with Jesus. Peter and John understood what it meant to be a part of what Jesus was doing. And when they had opportunity to tell other people, they told other people, they doubled down on who Jesus was. This was the focus of their life. And here's why, whenever Jesus shows up, things change, don't they? Like whenever Jesus comes into a situation, lives change, circumstances change, perspectives change, people change. Jesus is the key to discipleship. He's actually the key to life. Because everything finds its beginning and its end in Jesus. He was the one who was created. Everything was created for him. All of creation points to Jesus. And so this is how, this is how they became bold. This is how they became disciples, is that they were with Jesus. Man, Jesus, there's a couple of really cool stories about what this looks like. But Jesus gives one. He gives this analogy. It's a farming analogy, um, agricultural analogy, about ox who are going to plow a field. And, and, he, and, and in that culture, you know, if you put a young ox up to a plow, he would just work for about four hours and then be completely spent. And you have eight hours more to go, you know, kind of like guys today, like we're all like that. And so what, what the farmer would do is he would take an older, more, uh, uh, an older, more seasoned ox who understood the rhythms of the day, who understood what it meant to plow for 12 hours and yoke them up to another younger ox. And that way the younger ox could learn what it meant to plow for an entire day. He could learn the rhythms of work. This is what it means to be with Jesus. You know, in the message translation of the Bible in Matthew, it says it a little like this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And here's the yoke analogy. Walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is what it means to be with Jesus. Peter and John were with Jesus and this is what discipleship's about. It's about having a conversation with some people around this topic of who Jesus is. You know, as we look at what that, how that practically looks, one of the things that we see in discipleship and how Peter and John were disciples is they, they did it in community. They did it with other people. Your life will always hit a lid until you're around other people who are trying to find the best for you and challenge you around Jesus. I mean, we can do everything alone, can't we, these days? 
I mean, we really don't need a lot of people. You can pull into your house, close the garage. You can order dinner and someone will deliver it to you. Um, you can order your cable or streaming service and you can have entertainment. There's not a lot that we need face-to-face interaction with. And it's causing us to miss out. It's causing us to miss out. It's causing us to have a lid on our lives. What we see is they live in community. You need people. Listen, you need people in your life. In the book of Proverbs chapter 13, it says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, if you hang out with smart people, it's kind of like the common cold. You're going to catch it. If you walk with people who are wise, you're going to get wise. If you're around people who understand what it means to be a disciple, you will look more and more like Jesus and your life will come into full focus when that happens. You know, because have you noticed that we all have blind spots and, and we need people to point them out? Like, I just want you to think for a minute about your blind spot. What is it? You can't know it because you're blind to it. That's the point, right? You don't really know what your blind spot is. You need someone to show it to you, to help you. And there's a lot of people that will be glad to show it to you. But <laughs> I'd, I'd prefer somebody that loves me and loves Jesus and wants what's best for me. You know, one of the things that we say to each other around staff is, hey, what are people saying when I'm not in the room? In other words, like, is there something going on that I'm not aware of? There's something going on that I'm not seeing. Is there a blind spot in my life? that I need to know about so I can change it, so that I can address it. What are the blind spots in our lives? We, we all need to know those. We all, we, we all need support as well, don't we? If you go through a time, a difficult time, maybe a relational challenge, or maybe someone in your family gets sick, or maybe you lose a job, we want people to come alongside that can pick us up, put us back together, and help us along the way. We, we need people. And many times what happens is in the midst of that struggle, it's too late to go and find them. We need to find them ahead of time. And that's what discipleship is. That's what happens in Equip. As you're gathered together, talking about Jesus, helping each other grow, helping each other develop, helping each other become the best you that you can be. You have people there who can support you. You also need people to celebrate with you. Don't you love it when you have some good news? You want to call somebody personally and, and, and tell them. Like if I were to tell you right now that I was going to write you a check for $100,000, who's the first person you would tell? I, who comes to mind that you could call? You want to be able to celebrate with people. And we all need that. So we need to be around the people. If we're going to look like Jesus, to be with Jesus, we need to be around the people of Jesus. Another thing that we need to learn to do is, is to learn how to pray. You know, prayer is just sharing my heart with God's heart. It's exchanging my heart for God's heart. That all the things that I want, my selfishness, my pride, the things that I want, I just trade them out and I want, and God gives me what he wants and I get to pray for those. You know, have you ever been in a situation where someone asked you to pray in public? You were like, oh my God, no. Do you ever think that? Like this happens to me all the time because I get paid to pray because I'm the professional. <laughs> this happens to me all the time. But Sometimes, if you're not careful, prayer can become a performance. And that's not what prayer is. It's a, it's a conversation. And so we all need to learn how to pray. It is how we engage with God on a regular basis. It's how we ask God to help us with certain things. It's how we understand what our future is going to be like. Is that we learn what it means to pray. We, we teach you how to pray in equip. It's one of the things that we do. And sometimes, is it awkward at times? Can it be uncomfortable? Yes. It can be. But remember the first time you went to the gym and the next day you woke up and you couldn't walk? That was uncomfortable, wasn't it? 
But about a month later or two months later, as you got in better shape, what happened? You're a stud, right? Your wife's like, you the man, you know? <laughs> pray. You need to be around God's people. You need to learn how to pray. We'll teach you how to do that and equip. Hey, you need to learn, you need to learn how to read the Bible. You need to learn how to read the Bible. Now, I know, I know, I know. The Bible is losing its popularity, but it is not losing its power. It's not. The Bible teaches us about Jesus. It helps us understand his life. It helps us know what he would do. It helps us connect with him. There's something about when we read God's words that it becomes alive in our hearts and it changes us. How many times have you looked at the Bible and thought, man, that's just too complicated. That's too hard. Listen, you know how to read. You know how to read. That's all you need to be able to do. And if you can't read, you can listen to it. You don't even need to be able to read read right it is so powerful and so strong and so supernatural it will change you it will change you and then we need to learn how to talk about jesus right we need to learn how to tell other people about jesus we just need to learn how to have a natural normal conversation about jesus i was talking with one of our staff members just this morning he was talking about someone that he had met this week who grew up in the south from the south everything and had never been invited to a church no one had invited them to church like that should never happen in our culture like let's don't be that people we need to learn what it means we need to be equipped and equipped we, we go through all these things it's the basic building blocks of what it means to be a disciple and you don't want to miss out on that you know when I think about the boldness of Peter and John what we know is that word means cheerful courage you see what discipleship does is the same thing it did to Peter it changes you from the inside out. It changes you from the inside out. You will have a fuller life. You will be more effective at work. You will have better relationships. You will have a clearer vision for your life. You will know how to respond better to conflict. You will find more joy. You will find more healing. You will find more wisdom. You will find more hope for your future. You will find more answers to the questions of life because God will be changing you from the inside out the same way he changed Peter. If you remember anything about the story of Peter, you remember that as Jesus is being executed, he looks, he catches eyes with Peter and someone asks him, don't you know him? He says, I don't know him. I don't know him. Once, twice, three times, Peter denies Jesus. And yet now we see him acting with boldness because he was changed from the inside out. And this is what discipleship will do for you. This is what equip will do for you. You say, I don't have the time. You'll look back on this year and think, I regret not doing that. If there's one thing you could do all year, this should be it. Because this will transform you from the inside out. You know, one of the cool things about it is, is you learn a little bit how to share your story. Just the things that have happened to you. You learn how to unpack that just a little bit. So that you can use that as a bridge to what God has done and how you can share that with other people. I have a quick story that I want to read around that. Um, from one guy who went through a quip and whose life was radically changed. And a lot of the things in this, in this story are similar to so many of us. He says, I'm so excited that you invited me to join Equip Training last fall. I had never been through anything like that before, and it was a real eye-opener. The day that I told my story in Equip was the start of something new. I had never really put my story in written format and had never really put it all together. Yes, it was a 50,000-foot view, but it forced me to address things I had never really thought about. As you may recall, I spent the first 18 years of my life, quote, in the church. Does that describe any of y'all today? You've been, been in the church? 
If I were to ask you about church, be like, yeah, I went to, I went to youth group. I did, I did those things that church people do. My parents were married in the same church that I was baptized in as an infant. I was still going there even when I graduated from high school. And we never missed church, Sunday school, or any other church activity. When I was in the sixth grade, I was so excited to join the youth group and the choir. The choir? Really? We had fall and spring retreats, and every summer I traveled all over the southeast performing with the choir at various churches. It was my life, and I was 100% committed. My commitment to the church was solid. The issue was that the commitment fell short of a relationship with Jesus. It was about showing up and doing your best, which I was good at. I started out great in college, but by the spring, I was exposed to everything. I inherently knew it was wrong for me to participate, but for the first time in my life, something other than commitment to the church made me feel good. In other words, if it felt good, I was willing to try it. This led to many dead ends and many bouts of depression. Fast forward to 2003. I became involved at Stone Creek and immediately started to volunteer. I joined the kids' ministry and spent 15 years as a loyal and dedicated leader. I was committed, but there was always something that was holding me back. I was committed to the church and was not concerned about my own well-being because I knew that I was saved. Anybody know that saved word? You've used that before. I just assumed that this was all that life had to offer and I made the best of it. No complaints. But now that I'm in my second year of student ministry, I'm convinced that the first 47 years of my life were a setup. Through Equip, I believe that God knew I was struggling and let me so that I could find my purpose. The day that I realized the difference between commitment and discipleship was a milestone for me. Addressing the past allowed me to see this and to forgive myself. I carried around this guilt and shame for a very long time. Thank you for showing me the difference and for allowing me to see my life changed. This is someone who began, who grew up in church like many of you. There are a lot of good things that are an overflow of what the church does. And we help children. We, we reach our community. We're a light in the darkness. The driving force behind that is that we make disciples. We make disciples. This is what Jesus has called us to. And discipleship has been handed into the, put into the place into the hands of the masses. People like you, people like me. And we believe the way that as a church, we can be Jesus-centered. Jesus-centered and disciple-making church is for us to go through equip. One final story, and I'll close. You guys may remember from reading um, in history about the Battle of Dunkirk. Uh, it was a movie about it, uh, came out about it last year that was excellent. And kind of the snapshot of what happened is that the British military was trapped in northern France, right on the, the island, right on the beaches of Dunkirk. The German Blitzkrieg had them hemmed in, and it looked like certain devastation and destruction. They couldn't cross the water as they stood on the beaches because the water was so low, their battleships could not make it in to rescue them. So soldiers waded out into the water up to their necks at times and waited there for hours so someone would come to rescue them, but nobody could. So eventually, even Churchill said, this will be the greatest defeat in military history ever. And Churchill was an expert in military history. And so what they did was that they commissioned all these smaller, what they called life boats, life crafts, smaller boats, sailboats, 
pleasure crafts and other smaller boats because they can make it through the shallow water to rescue these soldiers who were, who were waiting for certain death. 700 boats were commissioned and they rescued over 300,000 soldiers. We are 700. There are people who are up to their necks right now, people that you know, some of you, and they just need someone who is a follower of Jesus, who's been discipled and equipped and trained to come along and to rescue them, to put them in the lifeboat and to take them to safety. Will you be part of the solution? Will you be part of the movement that Jesus has started? He, he wants us to be a part. He's chosen us to be a part. And he showed us how we can be equipped to be a part. Let's be part of the movement. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, it's incredible that you would invite us into this movement to take the message of hope, of life change, of eternity, of freedom, of healing, of joy to others. That we get to be the bearers of good news, God, and that if we'll take the steps to be equipped, to be developed, to be trained, to understand what it means to live with you at the center of our lives, God, you will do amazing, extraordinary results. God, you're not looking for the perfect. You're not looking for the best educated. You're just looking for the available. And so, God, that we just be a church that just trains people, loves people well, and teaches them how they can live on mission for you, how their lives can look like you. God, I ask you to help us become the greatest disciple-making church of our generation. God, I pray that we teach people how to pray, um, that we teach people how to read their Bibles better so they can see you. God, that we teach people how to have gospel conversations. <clears throat> and God, that when we do face you in eternity, God, and we're asked about how we did at this Make Disciples Commission, God, we'll have a great answer. And there will just be life after life after life that just shows our faithfulness to follow what you've asked us to do. Thank you for including us. We just center everything around the name of Jesus and pray in his name. Amen.